Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. Dial 678-ESOG now for a solution to your foundation and waterproofing problems. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. All right, I want you to stick with me for a few minutes here because coming up, I've got a really fun announcement that I get a chance to make here today. It's something I've been internally kind of fighting for for a little while here, and I finally got the green light to go ahead and do this. So we're going to say something today that I think a lot of you are going to be really excited about. Uh, Go ahead and uh, be ready to hear this coming up in just a few minutes. Cannot wait to uh, give that to you obviously a lot going on around georgia here right now we're covering it all on the program today i want to begin this way though you know saturday one of the things that makes games like that fun and we talked so much yesterday about just how positive the vibe was around georgia football on saturday and how much so much so much of many of us just really enjoyed it we kind of described it as sort of an emotional experience and I sort of felt that way then you hear from Kirby Smart post game sort of feels like he kind of had a lot of the same kind of feelings that it just sort of seemed like a really big deal to have been in Athens on Saturday and experience that home finale uh, for this particular year and one of the things that does kind of make certain games feel a little bit bigger is the sort of media landscape around the game fans care about this what network are they playing on the presence of ESPN college game day a lot of us don't like game day as much as we used to for a number of reasons most prominently the fact that david pollock's no longer on there but it's still a pretty big deal when it's on your campus and it was saturday that set the stage for a really big game and then of course during the game the broadcast there on espn you also had chris fowler and kirk Herbstreit calling the game these are the big announcers right these are the announcers that sort of designate your game as the big game around college football the same guys they call the college football playoff the national championship calling that game for georgia and Ole miss and even though you know for some fans the media is not always their cup of tea there is something to be said for when the big announcers are doing your game that means it's something sort of extra fun and sort of extra special and so there's a little bit of an extra level of interest when you've got something like that going on and of course, I was at the game, so not watching it live when it happened, but our producer, Michael Carvel, had recorded a little bit of audio from the game on Saturday near the very end. Some very nice things that Kirk Herbstreet was saying about Georgia quarterback Carson Beck. Now, admittedly, it's sort of always nice to hear the most prominent voice in the sport praising any Georgia player, the quarterback included. But this also, I think, sort of sets us up for a conversation we probably need to have here today, which is as Georgia sort of sets its sights on making that chase to go for three and 23 Georgia has owned the east here for the final time that the goals are starting to fall in place the way they're supposed to be I do believe that there is an interesting identity starting to form around this team here right now that perhaps casts this current Georgia team in a different light than the previous two national championship teams have been at least slightly so so let me start with Kirk Kerbstreet just saying some really nice things about Carson Beck I like to hear stuff like this I believe you probably do too and it also sets us up for I think kind of a cool conversation so here is Kerbstreet on Beck from Saturday night near the very end of the game near the very end of the broadcast is Carson Beck stacked up there with quarterbacks in the country right now? I mean, you've got a lot of good players this year. But you're talking about a guy that's the head man of this offense that's competing for a SEC championship and possibly a national championship. I don't know on a national level if he gets the recognition and hype that he deserves. 
I think you're right. I mean, he's not going to win a statistical comparison to a lot of guys, including Jaden Daniels in his conference. Even you figure Daniels is going to be the All-SEC quarterback, but Beck doesn't care about that. He says the stat, I think, is underrated for quarterbacks. Wins. Yeah, wins. I was impressed with how he walked into the room yesterday. We, you and I have never had a chance to sit down with him in a production meeting. He hasn't done a lot of them until this year, and he just came in. There's just kind of an aura about this guy has, after waiting all that time behind Stetson Bennett, this guy's incredibly driven and motivated to be the guy for this team and will do whatever they ask him to do. It's not just about throwing for a bunch of yards. I want to spend a couple of minutes on this because – there is something about quarterback that makes it different than other positions. And the stuff that Herb Street is saying there, it matters to me. I do need my quarterback to have an aura. I do. The idea that there's something that you just sort of feel when you're in his presence. And Herb Street saying that matters. And many of you know what he's referencing. But if you're not aware, I'll explain it this way. It, the way the broadcasters prepare for the game is by getting a chance to have conversations sort of off the record unlike press conference stuff they'll do it with Kirby Smart they'll do it with key players and including the quarterback and they sit around like a you know conference room table or something like that and it's a very different type of conversation oftentimes than like a regular press conference thing is where players are generally pretty careful about what they say uh, where they are you know kind of knowing that every word they speak is going to be parsed a thousand different ways the the private conversation you would have with a Chris Fowler and a Kirk Herbstreit is much more relaxed it's much more comfortable you're not quite so worried about everything you say because you're not really being recorded you're just sort of having this in a face-to-face they're taking notes perhaps it's just a chance for them to get to know you and when Herbstreit says oh there's an aura around Carson Beck there's a there's a driven nature to Beck there's a motivation there there's a there's an appetite to compete when he's saying these things, the sort of built-in context to all this is compared to all the other great quarterbacks that I talk to as a broadcaster every single week, I like the aura that exists around Carson Beck. And I, I would say that that means something to me here because that is something that your quarterback kind of needs to have. And much the same way yesterday we said, hey, when someone like Brock Bowers returns from injury as quickly as he does, not only does that say something really good about Bowers and his willingness to be kind of tough-minded and and also an insatiable competitor but it also says something about the Georgia program that Bowers believes this program is worth his effort and worth his time that he could be on autopilot just thinking about the NFL and the tens upon tens of millions of dollars he has a chance to make in that league but Bowers as a competitor says this Georgia team right now is the kind of team that I still want to compete with and compete for and compete alongside the players who are playing here and that's sort of a validation of Georgia the fact that Bowers wants to do that and once again that Herb Street says you know it says something cool about Carson Beck that he was willing to wait behind Stetson Bennett and kind of wait his turn and be there waiting in the wings for his opportunity and now he's getting the chance to appreciate that and while that says perhaps something good about Beck and his wisdom to to allow the world to kind of unfold around him and kind of be patient and wait it out it does, I believe, also, much like the Bauer situation, say something nice about Georgia that Beck also viewed Georgia as a program worth waiting on. This is a guy who could have left and gone any number of places, been a starting quarterback more quickly, uh, had perhaps more prolific numbers. He could have done a lot of those things a lot sooner than he's doing them here at UGA. But it certainly seems like Beck saw Georgia as a program worth waiting for. So please understand those words from Kirk Kerbstreet 
they're not really empty compliments, right? There, there's a built-in subtext there of compared to all the other quarterbacks that I have seen for years and years and years of having these private, off-the-record conversations with guys in this situation, I like the aura and I like the feeling that Carson Beck gives off. That is clearly the kind of thing that George is getting good use out of. The fact that Beck seems to really have the intangible qualities necessary to be the kind of quarterback capable of leading George on a mission like go for three in 23. But beyond that, I want to kind of move to this. Because the very good, very successful year that Beck is having right now, once again, says something good about him. But it also says something really interesting about the kind of identity that George is crafting for itself right now. Kirby Smart's always you know, very keen on talking about how every team is different. There's a different identity year to year to year. And to a certain extent, we already believe that. But we're also reminded oftentimes of how true that is. And I do believe there's an aspect right now of this Georgia team that is charting a different path for itself than the last two national championship teams have charted. And looking at back and on his side of the ball on offense, I think gives you a pretty good example of that. Because while Kirk Herbstreet near the end of the Ole Miss game on Saturday was uh, content to heap a lot of praise on Beck when the game was over with Beck was more than happy to shine the spotlight on his other offensive teammates starting with an offensive line that may have played its best game there on Saturday I think that one of the lines at one point in time Beck used was that he didn't get dirty at all except for the couple of times that he had to slide uh, when he took off and ran with it but overall Beck was certainly more than happy on a night when he was getting a lot of attention on the TV broadcast to put some attention on his Georgia offensive lineman and this is part of the story for Georgia right now this is what Beck said after the game on Saturday yeah I didn't get hit at all so that's I mean that's obviously a credit to our offensive line and I mean they played their butt off I mean in the run game the pass game obviously we had a few where like I was able to get up in there they left some lanes um go run the ball a little bit but I mean our offensive line just played out of their mind today yeah, I think they did, and it was certainly part of an overall very successful Georgia story offensively that Beck's a big part of, but Beck himself very willing and very clear to say, I'm not the only one who had a big night tonight. Did you see the way my offensive line play? And then in addition to that, you've also got a lot of guys back from injury kind of at the same time in a way they have not been thus far this year. That includes Amarius Mims on that offensive line, but it also kind of includes Lad McConkey and Brock Bowers playing together at the same time. Something we really haven't seen a lot of so far this year for Georgia, but when these two guys are healthy and at their best, they are two of the most prolific playmakers in the SEC, if not all of college football, and you've kind of got them all back together there as well. So once again, you know, Beck's getting plenty of compliments from the likes of Kirk Herbstreit, but after the game, Beck also wanted to throw some compliments in the direction of the entirety of the Georgia offense offense for the fact that all of a sudden now he's got a lot more toys to play with and clearly Carson's very happy about that here's one more from the quarterback I mean that's the healthiest we've been all season um, we talked about that before the game like overall as a team like obviously we got a few guys out with some injuries but like overall that's the healthiest we've been and um, I mean we were able to go out there and piece all the parts together I would say so to the tune of what more than 600 yards more than 50 points and this is kind of the point we're sort of building to here is is I think that right now you're seeing Georgia craft an identity for itself that's a little bit different than the previous two teams have been now overall it still kind of rhymes with the uh, previous years and the fact that Georgia wants to be complimentary wants to be great on defense great on offense the combination of the two is really what has allowed Georgia to win national championships in both 2021 and uh, last year in 2022 uh, 2022 but this year I think you can make a case that this Georgia team is far more defined by its offense 
than any of the last two Georgia teams have been, even though those teams were perhaps sometimes underrated from an offensive standpoint. This team had 98 plays of 20 or more yards last year. But this year's team is maybe just more sort of more defined offensively, more recognized for its offense than the last two Georgia National Championship teams have been. Let me give you a couple of stats to sort of point this point this out. First of all, starting with scoring offense, did you know that right now Georgia is sixth in America in scoring? They are averaging forty point six points per game. Not very many examples in Georgia football history of a team averaging forty points per game. Right now, that's what Georgia's doing. And as Kirk Herbstreit said, yeah, you've got a guy like Jaden Daniels and LSU. LSU, who's having a better year statistically than that, but LSU is also not really a part of the college football playoff conversation right now, nor is Oklahoma, another team that's scoring better than Georgia. Of the teams still in the college football playoff chase who are scoring better than UGA right now, you've got Washington, you've got Oregon, both kind of out of the uh, Pac-12. We also know the overall level of defense played in that league, not quite what it is in the SEC, which perhaps explains why you know the likes of the Huskies and the Ducks are scoring more than Georgia is right now. Now, those are both stellar offenses, don't get me wrong. I'm just saying there is a little bit of a difference, you know, sort of league-to-league comparison there on that. Uh, But Georgia holding its own right now with offenses like the ones out west who are getting a lot of attention. The same thing is true when you look at a different stat. You know, piling up points, that's one thing. Also piling up yards there as well. How about yards per play offensively right now? Or once again, the only two teams in the playoff chase who've done better than Georgia, who's fifth in America at 7.29 yards per play. Once again, Oregon and Washington. So you can make a case right now that Georgia – is in a far different category offensively than it's been before. Arguably, perhaps, uh, as good an offense as exists among the teams chasing for this year's national championship. It's kind of a fun thing to consider. And obviously, the unspoken part of this, too, is, boy, how much credit do you end up giving for Mike Bobo on all of that? It was obviously one of the most hotly debated topics to begin the season. And honestly, I understand where a lot of that comes from. I mean, I, I do. The play caller for any football team is always going to be a lightning rod for discussion, and sometimes that does veer into the nature of criticism. And, and perhaps there were some Georgia fans who took it too far. Perhaps there were some Georgia fans who sort of overstated their case on this, but that's also the nature of these debates in the uh, social media world that exists from time to time. A lot of people kind of put themselves out there on stuff that sounds a little bit ridiculous, including the case of the overall performance from Bobo. It's definitely been proven to be ridiculous. But even if there were some Georgia fans who got this wrong initially because of whatever they kind of remembered the previous era of the Mike Bobo uh, you know, tenure as being his offensive coordinator, everybody seems to be on the right page right now. Mike Bobo is pushing all the right buttons for this Georgia offense. Carson Beck is having an outstanding season. Kirk Herbstreit rightly points that out. Beck himself, though, says, Look at the kind of year the rest of this offense is having. Did you see what my offensive line did on Saturday? Did you see what Ladd McConkey and Brock Bowers can do when they're playing on the same team together? How about the emergence of this running game? How about the entire you know you know breadth of all the weapons I have a chance to distribute the football to? It's a really special thing for Georgia happening on this side of the ball right now. And as the dogs get ready to go for three and twenty-three and move through the rest of this regular season, face Alabama in the SEC championship, then whatever comes after that. Georgia can go into battle knowing it has got as high a power of an offense as anybody else in college football. And that's going to make the next couple of months very fun for UGA fans. 
My name is Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. We are presented today by Engineered Solutions of Georgia, and we're happy to have you with us no matter how you get to us today. Live on video, we start 945, first and 15, dognation.com and the Dog Nation app. 10 a.m. after that across all video platforms, whichever one you choose to use. Just glad to have you with us. Radio, Athens, Sports Radio, 960 The Ref. Podcast, on-demand audio, anywhere you want it, anytime you want it. Uh, just pick a platform that works for you. We'll be there for you, and we're just glad that you've chosen to be there with us. Also, a big thanks to our friends at Engineered Solutions of Georgia who make it all possible for you today there as well. Foundation waterproofing issues, those are the kinds of things I want you to think about, uh, and I want you to think about Engineered Solutions of Georgia when you see evidence of that around your house. You had a little bit of rain lately. That means water creeping in. Perhaps you see those sort of damp areas, wet spots, you know, residue where water was, maybe in your garage, sometimes even worse than that down in your uh, basement, you get that little standing water stuff that sort of shows up, kind of water kind of creeping in through the the windows or something like that, oh, whatever the thing that happens that causes that to occur. You know it when you see it. When you see it, I want you to know Engineered Solutions of Georgia is the solution for that problem. Foundation stuff the same way because if this water issue goes unchecked, pretty soon you'll have a foundation issue there too. And so... That's why I want you to look for those signs of like the cracks in the uh, in the sheetrock, perhaps, or the stair step cracks in the bricks on the outside of your house. And I want you to remember, the BA said this is what Engineered Solutions of Georgia exists to do. These are the kinds of problems they exist to solve. They have an entire team of engineers on staff. There's nobody else in our marketplace that put that level of resource to work for you when it comes to your foundation and your water proofing issues that is what they're all about they're also proud partners of uga it's fun to support those who support the dogs and it's always always very gratifying to me when those of you who've been with us for a long time choose to support engineered solutions of georgia a partner of ours and a great friend of ours for as long as they have been there as well so if you got a foundation issue if you got a waterproofing issue or if you think you might go ahead and have that phone call give them a call at simply 678 esog now simply dial Six seven eight ESOG now engineered solutions of Georgia proud partners of UGA they are a source and a solution for your foundation and waterproofing issues make sure you check them out today all right we are going to do a couple of things here Connor Riley in a few minutes looking forward to that also I promised you a special announcement that's only a couple of minutes away here there as well so stick with me here I'm gonna give that to you here something I've been hoping to be able to do now I get a chance to do it we'll do it here coming up in a couple of minutes prior to that though let us go around the doghouse here today and tonight the college football playoff top 25 will be re-released been asked a couple of times here ultimately it doesn't really matter very much we always say this is the caveat but it's still somewhat interesting i like this kind of thing uh it has been asked okay will georgia move from number two to number one tonight there was no movement with the CFP top 25 last week, uh, everybody right right there in the top eight all stayed the same, right? You had you had you know a couple of you know teams sort of fall out of the back part of the top ten. Uh, Oklahoma obviously lost two Saturdays ago, but the top of the poll, the kind of top eight, sort of stayed where it is. And by the way, if you really want to know kind of like the prevailing narrative of this season, the sort of sort of narrative through line that sort of run through this, it's a lot of these teams kind of preseason top seven or eight 
teams have been ranked in the top seven eight for most of the season they're just not losing very much now you do have situations where sometimes the wins are a little closer than they're supposed to be that was true last saturday for texas against tcu for washington against utah for oregon against usc for florida state against miami some of these games are a little closer than they were supposed to be but nonetheless the prevailing narrative this season in college football is highly ranked teams for the most part have been winning week to week to week that's why the landscape for the four college football playoff spots are as seemingly crowded as they are because the higher ranked teams just are not losing very much right now that is a big part of all of this so tonight after not really seeing much of a shakeup last week do you see more of one I certainly think there's a strong possibility now that Georgia has a second ranked win because remember the overall argument for Ohio State's been oh best pair of wins of any team in the country they beat Notre Dame you know they they uh uh uh, beat who's the other one uh uh, beat Penn State but now the Penn State win doesn't quite feel quite as good anymore because Penn State lost again fired its offensive coordinator it seems like a Nittany Lions season sort of spiraling here a little bit uh you know the Notre Dame loss already been kind of devalued because they've lost or should say the Notre Dame win for uh Ohio State somewhat devalued because they've now lost for a, a third time Georgia gets a dominant win convincing win against a top 10 ranked opponent there is probably the chance here that uh that that Georgia could move to that number one spot and if that is the case then perhaps internally it gives Georgia just a little bit more of a challenge here of keeping the focus where it needs to be Georgia's kind of a weird spot here the next couple of weeks against rival teams who obviously would love to make their season by either beating Georgia or even playing well against Georgia and Georgia kind of already knows its fate it's playing in the SEC championship it's got aspirations far greater than what the next two weeks sort of you know afford for UGA but trying to keep the focus where it is and being ranked number one tonight perhaps makes that even a little bit more difficult for UGA if that's the case the one thing we do know is is right now Georgia and Kirby Smart are saying all the right things about all of this even going back to Saturday night Georgia winning the division actually by the virtue of Tennessee's loss to Missouri earlier that day but in terms of celebrating the SEC East and even reflecting on the final division winner on this side of the league and the history of the conferences that moves away from that format next year as you might imagine on Saturday night Kirby Smart wasn't having any of that this is how little regard he gave winning the division after the game against Ole Miss this is Kirby Smart from Saturday no no sports staff will be looking at Tennessee and Georgia I mean we, we, we got to break down the games we got so there's no there's nothing different logistically I mean the, 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 tomorrow morning we'll wake up and we'll go to work on Tennessee. What does it mean to you to build a three straight SEC title game? It's the expectation, man. I mean, that's what we expect to do. I mean, in a roundabout way, what Smart is saying there is obviously true is that in a place like Georgia, you've got the resources to win, but those resources come coupled with the expectations that you do just that. And winning doesn't mean having a good season or making it to Atlanta. No, winning means using that as a springboard to go out and win two straight national championships. So, you know, the idea that, you know, you celebrate the SECEs, I mean, hopefully you celebrate it a little bit. I enjoyed it last year in Starkville when the team kind of did that. They had the homemade signs that they had taken some, some fans and things like that. You know, I think a little bit of celebrating is probably okay. Obviously, I enjoyed wearing my own the East t-shirt on Saturday. We'll have some fun with that, probably some more uh, this week there as well. But ultimately, Georgia's aspirations are certainly far larger than just – 
making an SEC championship and playing that game once again for a third straight year. That's, as Kirby Smart says, simply what George expects to do. Now, there's also a strategy behind all of that because what Kirby's really trying to do is understand that, hey, this is a team that's also trying to put together another perfect season, trying to win every game, not giving an inch to any of the would-be rivals that would love nothing more than to make a name for themselves by playing well against Georgia. And by the way, including Tennessee on Saturday. And I keep saying this. I will keep saying this. I really do feel like there's a pretty good chance this Tennessee game is far more competitive on Saturday than some UGA fans think it's going to be. I think that Tennessee probably does view this as its program sort of Super Bowl, so to speak. One final time to play a really big game. A lot of these Tennessee players won't play in their team's bowl game. The regular season finale against Vanderbilt, that's pretty much a worthless, inconsequential football game. This is the last one that matters, and I do believe they want something to show for their season. Playing well in front of these home fans, I believe that's what Vols players and coaches hope to do there on Saturday. I believe the fans themselves probably even kind of understand that, that, hey, we may not get much, but we can at least play the role of spoiler here against UGA. And so Kirby, I believe, is trying to get ready for all of that, including trying to keep the focus where it needs to be everything pointing towards Knoxville and Neyland Stadium on Saturday. This is what he said about the challenge of that yesterday. It's a challenge. I mean, uh, it's a challenge we accept. I mean, it's it's part of the passion you have for the job is to reinvent yourself every week and not uh, succumb to the stuff that's out there. And um, it's something we take a lot of pride in. And um, our players believe in what we tell them. That's the number one thing. you got to have the trust of the players or your messaging doesn't work. Um, the messaging is that, that we're trying to find the best version of ourselves. And every week we're trying to find the best version of ourselves. Uh, and that doesn't change based on who we play. So a couple of things here. Thing number one is, boy, you want to really kind of measure the level of buy-in that a program like Georgia has on a Saturday like this. When you tangibly speaking perhaps don't have a ton to play for, how well do you still play? Knowing that your opponent needs this to sort of salvage something for their season, you just want to get the win so you stay unbeaten. You just want to get the win because excellence pursuing that week to week is just what you do. This tells you a lot about Georgia. But here's the other thing. You know, if you're a part of Dog Nation, if you're a UGA fan, you sort of want to do everything you can to make the game feel as big as it's supposed to be. After all, you know, last year the Georgia-Tennessee game was the biggest game of the season. Tennessee fans were hoping this year's Georgia-Tennessee game would be the biggest game of this season there as well. Unfortunately, the Vols just aren't quite good enough to make that the case. We predicted that might be true, as it turns out it is. So if you're a Georgia fan here, what you want to do is do everything you possibly can to make this game feel big so that Georgia, the team, will have the emotion to feed off of going into Neyland Stadium on Saturday. And this is where I'm very, very thankful to say Dog Nation Invasion can play a big role in all of this. On the Tennessee River, on Saturday, so many Georgia fans have been excited about this for months. Of course, we appreciate R.S. Andrews, Kroger, and the Dog Cave for bringing it all to you. Uh, We are so excited about all of that. And what I'm really excited about right now, perhaps maybe more so than anything I've gotten a chance to tell you over the course of the last uh, you know couple of months here, is that for those of you who wanted to be a part of the Dog Nation invasion and you just simply weren't able to kind of get in there quick enough on that because we sold this out as fast as we've ever sold anything uh, out. We, we sold this out so, so quickly there on all of that. Well, I've got some good news for you. I have asked and they have granted me this that we've kind of shifted some stuff around and we've made some room on the boat for the Dog Nation invasion on the Tennessee River for a few more Georgia fans. Now, listen, 
It's not a thousand of you. We can't do that. This is like a small number of you. But if you really wanted to be a part of this and weren't able to do it, this is your time to be able to do that. So here's what I want you to do. If you're watching me live, if you're on dognation.com, right there next to the video player on dognation.com, there's a link to click and you can be on the waiting list for this. And we're going to try to get as many folks from the waiting list onto the boat as we possibly can. It is truly a very limited number. That's just, that is a real thing. It's not an artificial made-up thing. It is a very real thing. But we are going to, I think, make some space for a few more people here on this. And if you're watching live right now on, like, say, Facebook or YouTube or perhaps Twitch or something like that, you can also hop from there over to dognation.com. Just find our show right there, and there'll be a link right there for you to click to join the waiting list on all of that. So great sponsors like R.S. Andrews, Kroger, and the Dog Cave have made all of this possible, and you have a chance to also now maybe get in and be a part of our Dog Nation invasion on the Tennessee River on Saturday. Also, the good news is, for those of you who want tickets to the game or something like that, seems like the secondary market price may be coming down here a little bit. So if you're thinking about making kind of a last-minute trip uh, to Tennessee there on Saturday, we might can squeeze you in on our Dog Nation invasion. It is a very, very limited opportunity, and you've got to do that really quickly right away. So go to dognation.com. There's a link to click. Join the waiting list. We're going to try to get a few more folks on the boat for Saturday uh, so check out dognation.com for a lot more on that. By the way, really big thanks to R.S. Andrews, Kroger, and the Dog Cave for making that uh, possible for us coming up there on Saturday. All right, with that said, a lot to talk about. The game itself, how it gets done for Georgia against the Vols, what happens tonight with the college ball playoff top 25, and everything else and what is shaping up to be a fascinating next few weeks here for Georgia. Let's cover all of that ground right now here with Connor Riley on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. All right, let's say hello to Connor Riley, Dog Nation Daily, presented by ESOG. And, Connor, I want to start with the news of tonight. College football playoff top 25 set to be re-released. I thought that Georgia might move to number one last week. Ultimately, though, there was no change near the top of the uh, rankings a uh, week ago. Kind of a static rating from the college football playoff selection committee. Now that Georgia has a second-ranked opponent win and was a top-10 win, as convincing as it was against Ole Miss, is this enough tonight in your eyes for the committee to leapfrog Georgia ahead of Ohio State and for Georgia to wear the number-one ranking into Neyland Stadium on Saturday? Yes, in part, because also I think that Penn State win looks a little bit less impressive after what happened there in Michigan. And while, yes, that's that's a quality win for Michigan, and they have, I think, on a week-in, week-out basis been the best team in college football this season. You saw what Georgia's A-game looked like on Saturday against a team that was ranked in the top ten by the college football playoff committee. And I think when you factor that in, along with the fact that Missouri just pistol-whipped Tennessee on Saturday, uh, that's another quality win for Georgia for a team that Missouri, I think, is probably going to be ranked in the top ten. Uh, not just this week, but possibly to end the season there. So I, I think Georgia has a, a much better resume now than it, it did two weeks ago. And when you factor that in with the eye test and how they have looked in this in, in these games of late for them, uh, I think that's more than enough to put them at the number one spot in the college football playoff rankings. As a fan, I don't overthink this stuff too much. I mean, I don't get – super into the whole idea of rat poison i think we have a tendency to overstate the role that that uh motivation plays in a lot of these games anyway generally speaking that's sort of my thought 
you know, this week, I guess I'm somewhat different just given the unique nature of the fact that Georgia now plays two what you sort of think of as rival games and kind of a sort of a play out the string fashion here, already clinch its spot in the SEC championship game, knowing that Alabama looms, knowing that the mission is go for three and 23. You know, I guess I'm probably a little bit ex- less excited about Georgia moving to number one tonight if it happens than I would have been if it happened last week when it just sort of seems like a little bit top different scenario here you know being number one tonight sort of plays into the whole idea of the mission accomplished banner being hung which I know that Kirby Smart definitely does not want to do ahead of the road game against Tennessee I believe that's going to be a tough game for Georgia I'll talk to you more about that here in a moment but does the number one ranking come at a bad time for Georgia if it does come tonight given the nature of these next two games no uh I think this team knows it's playing for something much bigger been the number one ranking in the college football playoffs. I think they've kind of known all season. Uh, they are doing something very different from the rest of the sport, and in some ways are being judged differently. Again, this is a team that has now won 27 consecutive games uh, and, is an attempting, and is an attempt to win a third straight national championship. Uh, they know what it is like to be the number one team in the country. Uh, they know what it is like to take that ranking onto the road and play in those circumstances there so i don't think that this whole idea of them being the number one team in the country you know going on the road and taking that on the road uh is something that should bother you if you're a georgia fan i think also in part because this is a tennessee team that has kind of fallen apart uh these last couple weeks here and so while yes you know obviously Neyland is going to be a hostile environment I do kind of wonder if Georgia's able to start quickly and play well in the first half on Saturday. Maybe if there might be some sort of quick factor with this Tennessee team. We'll ultimately see how that plays out. But the idea that Georgia, you know, the number one ranking comes the wrong time for them, I don't really buy that. I think they are so unconcerned with the college football playoff rankings. They know they have to keep winning out to get a spot in the college football playoff anyway with what is happening around them in college football right now you and i have a little bit of a different take on the on the tennessee game for saturday we'll get to that here coming up in a moment let me mention one more thing about the uh, rankings uh tonight you know it continues to be true that i believe the most important prevailing narrative of this season is the continued success week to week of the teams kind of ranked in that sort of top eight right we just don't have very many examples of of highly ranked teams losing games this year now saturday it wasn't necessarily easy for texas against tcu still won wasn't necessarily easy for the pac-12 teams washington against utah husky still won oregon against usc usc still won you know florida state kind of got itself a little bit of a rival tussle with miami still won and you kind of wonder can this keep going on the way that it is but right now unlike a lot of years as you move through november the race for the only four playoff spots, Connor, it continues to be pretty crowded because all these teams sort of ranked near the top week to week. They're just continuing to win games. Not always the prettiest, but getting the job done. And to me, that's the biggest story of the season here thus far. Right. Uh, of the teams in the top eight of the college football playoff rankings right now, those teams have a combined three losses. And two of them, Alabama to Texas and Oregon to Washington, are two teams ranked ahead of them in the college football playoff rankings there. So you haven't seen a lot of separation there at the top. Now, I think there's a good chance some of that changes this week. Washington, for example, is a is an underdog against Oregon State. I think that's an interesting game there. I think Texas-Iowa State, Texas going on the road is going to be an interesting game, obviously, uh, with Texas, again, playing kind of shaky there as of late. 
But uh, to your larger point, you know, I, I think we're sort of waiting for, and, and we will get some clarity on this. Michigan plays Ohio State next week, and then the week after that, Georgia is going to play Alabama in the SEC championship game. You could also potentially see uh, an unbeaten Washington play a one-loss Oregon in the Pac-12 championship game. So a lot of this is going to figure it all, figure itself all out. I think the biggest thing for me is that there's been kind of a clear separation in terms of, you know, there are eight teams that can make the playoff, and from that I think there are four teams that could possibly win a national championship this season. So uh, it, not a whole lot for me has especially changed these last couple of weeks. And while, yes, you know, winning pretty isn't something that every team is able to do on a week-to-week basis, even Georgia is not immune from that, the fact that these top eight teams have all found a way to win week in, week out, I think shows, A, that, you know, this is kind of the perfect year for an eight-team playoff, uh, and, and I think everyone would kind of sign up for that. You know, we don't necessarily need 12 teams, but I think an eight would be a good one. But this is an argument, I think, in favor of if you want four going forward, there is going to be some interesting juice and dynamics in the closing weeks of this season. All right, so let's talk about the Georgia-Tennessee game for a moment. And I have been very, very you know, open to the audience, kind of a little bit of a trigger warning and from the standpoint that I'm going to come across a little bit this week as a little bit of a wet blanket. I don't mean to, but I just g- genuinely believe that college football is a little bit of a zigzag sport. And the easiest time to zig after a zag is when you have what Saturday was for Georgia, an incredibly emotional home game where just the energy was at a fever pitch. And when you go on the road the following week, that can be a tricky spot for almost anybody. And obviously Tennessee proved itself to be a you know pretty deficient team in the way that it handled its business against Missouri this past week. But I don't believe this is a dead team walking. I don't believe this is a dead program walking either. And this is this program's Super Bowl here right now because the Vanderbilt game is inconsequential. Most of these Tennessee players won't play in the bowl game. So for a program that I think has a little bit of pride here right now, this is their last chance to salvage something from the season. I believe that Tennessee will play well because of that. In fact, I believe the atmosphere in Neyland Stadium is even going to be a little bit more intense than some people realize because I think that intuitively Tennessee fans would have a little bit of an understanding of this too, which is it may not be a special season for us, but we can spoil Georgia's perfect season. And I believe there's probably something there for that there as well. Obviously, I expect Georgia to win the game, but it would not surprise me at all if this is the sort of one-score type game where Georgia's playing deep into the fourth quarter in order to get the uh, victory. I just think that's kind of what college ball sometimes sets us up for here a little bit. In other words, I'd be shocked if Georgia lost or were to lose, but I would not be surprised if this is a close football game there on Saturday. It sounds like you disagree. Uh, since October 1st, B.A., between the two of us, how many second-half touchdowns do we have in SEC games? Uh, you're talking about uh, how many is Georgia allowed? No, no, no. I'm talking you and me. How oh, many we have zero. Yeah, yeah. You, you and I have, you and I have. Yeah, you and I have zero, yeah. Do you know how many Tennessee has? How many is that? They have one. Okay. In games against Texas A&M, Kentucky, Alabama, in Missouri, a four-game sample size, that is not insignificant in my mind. Tennessee has scored one offensive touchdown in the second half. Uh, I know they got their butt kicked by, uh, by Missouri last week, and I understand why you sort of think a oh, one-week zag could be in store for them. This team has kind of showed you who they are the last month of the season now. And, yeah, obviously that's going to be a raucous environment to start the game there. But if this Tennessee team doesn't start fast or this game sort of starts to slip away from them, I think the crowd can turn pretty quickly on this Tennessee team. Yeah. And I think that there's a chance you see that on Saturday. And, again, you know, Georgia, yes, they have not played their best on the road this season. The Auburn game 
was not a well-played effort, especially to start the first quarter there. Georgia gave up an opening drive touchdown against Vanderbilt and kind of played with its food there in the second half. But I think that this is a Georgia team that, again, knows what's in front of it. And to be honest, I think they're kind of relishing the opportunity to maybe go in there and potentially embarrass Tennessee. Uh, you know, I think this team greatly enjoyed a season ago doing that when they came into Sanford Stadium. And the fact that they can once again maybe put Tennessee in their place a little bit, I actually think is maybe a reason to be more excited for what this team could possibly do on Saturday. And I'll also gladly admit this. I sort of preached some of the same stuff prior to the game in 2021, which is sort of a lost football game. Almost no one remembers that because Georgia's played in so many big games. But I thought that Neyland Stadium on the road in 2021 was potentially a tricky spot for Georgia, and Georgia completely dominated that that football game. So I have expressed concern about this trip before, and only to have it proved not to be the case. Georgia's actually handled business here in in Neyland pretty well the last couple of times it's it's traveled up there. So I you know I've been wrong about this in, in the past. Uh, so that's at least fair to point out. And I also agree with what you're saying about the kind of start that Georgia gets off to in a game like this has the potential of really mattering. Kirby mentioned the value of running the ball successfully on the road. He mentioned that yesterday. All the more reason why what Georgia showed you on the ground, getting Kendall Milton going the way that he did against uh, Ole Miss, obviously the presence of Dejon Edwards matters here there as well. If that tandem, if the, if the Georgia running game is what it showed itself to be there on Saturday, then I believe that Georgia has unlocked an entirely new dimension of, of achievement, both on the road at Tennessee and also anything else that comes the rest of the way here. Yeah, I thought Kendall Milton had his best game as a Bulldog on yeah. Saturday. And when you add that in, to what Dejon Edwards has been able to give you this entire season in terms of a consistency standpoint, you have a really potent rushing offense. Now, James Pierce is obviously a name to know for Tennessee, the edge rushers that they have there. And I think Georgia's offensive line is going to need to play well once again. You know, they played great, I think, in the wins over Florida and Ole Miss, less so in that game against Missouri, which was a little bit interesting there. But I, I do think that this is a Georgia team that, again, they just played their best game of the season. And I think you are right to point out college football when you're working with 18 to 23 year olds it can be a little bit of a yo-yo sport where you know think back to earlier this season Pitt had just gotten demolished and they go and somehow beat Louisville at home like that's just sort of the tenure of the sport but I also think at the same point in time I think the Tennessee game means a good bit to Kirby Smart do you know that since he was promoted to Alabama's defensive coordinator in 2008 he has not lost in Neyland Stadium in the times that he has played there and they play he's played there every year because you know obviously when he was with Alabama, they were playing there every other year. And then at Georgia, they won in 2017 in big fashion. They won in 2019 in big fashion. And they won in 2021 in big fashion. And I would also like to point out that in the time Kirby Smart was in college, he had never beaten Tennessee. So I think this game means a good bit to Kirby Smart. And he knows and he's aware that, you know, Dolly Parton's going to be there. Uh, Peyton Manning may come in for the game as he has before when Georgia and Tennessee have played each other. So I think he understands the stakes and expectations that come with this game. And he sort of knows and is going to look forward to the fact that, hey, we got a chance to go out there and make another statement on Saturday, especially when this is a Tennessee team. I think going into the year, a lot of people thought, you know, maybe not challenge Georgia, but if they go, say, 10-2, and maybe they only lose to, to Georgia and Alabama, they find a way to maybe get in a tier closer to Georgia. 
they lose on Saturday, the best they can do in the regular season is 8-4, and four, and that is a clear step backwards, in my opinion, from where they were a season ago. And you leave Tennessee asking a few more questions about itself in terms of what it might be going into the future. Let me squeeze in one more thing before we let you go, which is we got a game-time announcement for the Georgia-Georgia Tech game yesterday. Clean, old-fashioned hate to be played in primetime. Feels like it's been forever since this thing wasn't a noon start here. And I don't know, I think that if you want to kind of have that regular season kind of conclude – with something that feels like a little bit more of a substantial football game, the game time probably helps on that, right? Downtown Atlanta at night, you know, kind of a cool uh, backdrop there for that. Uh, Tex obviously played better this year with Brinke. Uh Buster Faulkner's the one that's had the terrific year as the offensive coordinator there. You know, I, I think there's still a chasm of difference between Georgia and Georgia Tech, but at least the feel around the in-state rivalry game uh, two Saturdays from now probably aided by the different game time. I know you're a big believer in clean old-fashioned hate as a uh, rivalry so how much does the uh, better game time uh, kind of help the uh, mood around the game yeah I, you know as, as someone who has to work and drive back from atlanta to athens after the game uh, i wasn't too thrilled to see that it was a seven thirty start time but i think it does mark a sign that there is still some national interest in this game even if georgia is obviously propelling it a good bit for it I think Georgia Tech can do itself a lot of favors by winning this week against Syracuse, locking up a bowl game, and then sort of going into that game against Georgia with, you know, even more to sort of throw there. Uh, It's a Georgia Tech team that, you know, yeah, they've got some bad losses this season. They've also beat Miami on the road in an upset win, and then they upset North Carolina at home earlier this season. So it is not a a, a Georgia Tech team that is incapable of playing up to its competition. And while, yes, they did sort of get blown off the field uh, by Clemson on Saturday – I do think that this is a, a, a tech team that has at least, you know, while record-wise they are roughly the same to what they were a season ago, I think is your right to point out. Buster Faulkner coming in there, you know, Dominic Blaylock, Brett Seifert both making contributions there. This is a, a Georgia Tech team that in year one under Brent Key I think has made some strides there and is doing a lot of the things I think a lot of people thought Jeff Collins could potentially do, but this is a team that is making steps in the right direction. And, you know, to see this game be moved from its 12 p.m. start, which it had been every year dating back to 2013, to a more primetime slot, I think sort of shows that, again, and most of this can be chopped up to Georgia being the number one team in the country, being a team that has won back-to-back national titles. I think there is some juice to this game potentially. And it also, comp- I'm also uh, fair to point out as well, Georgia has not lost in Atlanta since 1999, and that game was an overtime game. The last time Georgia lost in regulation to Georgia Tech was 1989 in Atlanta. That is a long, long time ago. So Georgia plays very well in Atlanta when it's at Bobby Dodd Stadium, and I'll be interested in seeing if the game time change has any impact on that. Yeah, it should be very interesting to see. Uh, Connor, great stuff. We appreciate you being here uh, today on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Engineered Solutions of Georgia, and we'll look forward to reading plenty more from you there at dognation.com as well. And, of course, back on the program very soon, too, and on the Dog Nation Invasion Riverboat there on Saturday as well. Yep, as always, it's a pleasure. Thank you, Connor. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. Yeah, I mean, the bottom line for me is is I believe that the vibe around the game on Saturday is going to be a big game vibe. Not as big as, you know, uh, you know Tennessee fans hoped that it would be. That's certainly true. Uh, but I do believe, at least to begin the game, there's a big game feel there. Connor mentioned the presence of Dolly Parton, kind of the big celebrity. Uh, Vols fans obviously love her, sort of a, you know, favorite daughter of the state. Uh perhaps paid Manning, whatever else. But, you know, 
a lot of the Tennessee fans have already sort of paid for the tickets. They feel like they, you know, can't sell them before they got in them. So they've almost got no choice but to make it feel like a big game. And, you know, clearly they'd love nothing more than to beat Georgia. And you know how it is to be a fan. Y'all, we, we can't act like we ain't been here before. Um, you know how it is as a fan. It's like on Sunday after the Missouri game, you're miserable. By Tuesday or Wednesday, you can talk yourself into a lot of stuff. I mean, by Tuesday or Wednesday, you can talk yourself into something. And so the process is ongoing right now of sort of, you know, Tennessee fans sort of talking themselves into, you know, some of this, you know, getting to be of the belief um, that they might be able to, you know, uh, you know, to compete with Georgia there. So I think that Georgia steps into an intense atmosphere, and I think that Georgia's responsibility there is to um, – is to sort of meet the moment. And obviously, that's what we've come to expect this Georgia team to do. That, that's exactly what we would think that Georgia would do here in this situation. So we're looking forward to that there on Saturday. Dog Nation invasion on the Tennessee River. Can't wait to go celebrate and own the East in style. Tennessee had to stand by and watch Georgia punch another ticket to the SEC championship. And we get a chance to celebrate on their, uh, on their river on Saturday. We have uh, riparian rights <laughs> on Saturday there in uh, Knoxville. Uh, Going to be a uh, great great time something else gonna be a great time speaking of cruising how about cruising around the sec courtesy of royal caribbean how about being on board allure of the seas of the dog nation cruise coming up in april going to be an unbelievable experience my sincere invitation to you is to be a part of it i want you to check out the website royaldogs.com that's royal dogs obviously dog spelled d-a-w-g-s royaldogs.com for more on that it's going to be bigger and better than it's ever been before hundreds of you going to be on board with us and we're on an oasis class ship this year one of the largest cruise ships at sea it's called allure of the seas and it's going to be an experience unlike anything we've ever put together at dog nation jessica slater is a wonderful travel agent she is helping us with this i want you to reach out to her and give her a call 770-718-9147 that's 770-718-9147 you can also email her jslater at dreamvacations.com as i said before you can also go out there and uh, look at the website, royaldogs.com. Make plans to be on with us. Dog Nation Cruise in April of 2024. It's going to be an unbelievable experience. Can't wait to have you there for that. Let's get ready to go cruising around the SEC here right now. So College Ball Playoff Top 25 comes out tonight. A couple of thoughts here, kind of in no certain order. Will be interesting to see if Tennessee stays in the rankings after getting beaten up by Missouri. You know, last week, Vols, what, 13th? Uh, lost number 14, uh, Missouri. Obviously, Missouri perhaps later to kind of move up here. Interesting to see if Tennessee stays in, giving Georgia a chance to beat another top 25 opponent on Saturday. That is perhaps something to watch. You've also got the situation where, you know, future Georgia opponent Alabama perhaps is still somewhat landlocked, right? Because they've been at number eight. They got another convincing win on Saturday against Kentucky. But the teams ahead of Alabama are just not losing. And right now, it is that head-to-head win for Texas that you would assume is a pretty big deal here uh, against an Alabama team that, you know, seems to be having some momentum. If the, At the very least, there is an increase in the level of chatter around Alabama. But there does not seem to be a lot of, you know, place for Alabama to go here right now because other teams ahead of the Crimson Tide, including the team that beat them, Texas, continues to win. That's the one that Texas got on the road at Alabama here a little earlier this year. It's kind of funny. For as rock solid as like eight through one have kind of remained, nine and ten is where things get a little soft, where you do see those teams losing. Obviously, that was Ole Miss and Penn State from this past week. So I think the general consensus here is that Georgia probably does go to number one tonight. I think it'll also be interesting to see 
even on the virtue of the win against Penn State, if that's enough to get a Michigan team that is more dominant week to week than Ohio State has been, if that's enough to get Michigan down to number two. I mean, I think there's pretty clearly some separation in terms of the the sort of week-to-week play between Georgia, Michigan, and almost everybody else. I really do. Now, does that mean that I know for sure that Michigan's the second-best team in the country? I, I don't know. But week-to-week, they're just more dominant than than the other teams that Georgia's competing with. I mean, look at this past Saturday's game against Penn State as an example of that. Michigan was able to run the ball like 32 straight times to conclude that game. That's the sort of toying with a top 10 opponent, you know, ranked opponent at the very least. If, if you think Penn State was overrated in the top 10, they are a ranked level opponent at the very least. And Michigan was so disrespectful of the Penn State offense. They said, we're just going to run the ball every single play because we know you can't do enough offensively to challenge us. We're content to be very conservative here. That's at times over the course of the last couple of years, what you would see Georgia choose to do when it had almost they would never admit this but the, the actions speak louder than words almost no respect for the the team that they were playing uh that's just sort of what uh what Georgia would do in a situation like that Michigan able to do that against Penn State there on Saturday so if you moved up on the basis of eye test now paired with impressive resume boosting win you could go Georgia number one you could go Michigan two and slot down Ohio State there to three you know, last week we saw Washington not able to jump ahead of Florida State into that four spot, even though thought that Washington probably had the better overall resume. You know, now Washington gets another win against Utah, although it was closer than experts thought it should be. You know, Florida State scuffled a little bit with Miami. Is the door open there for that? I'm not quite so sure. Ultimately, probably doesn't matter very much. But I think the overall takeaway here for the CFP Top 25 is, a week ago with very little movement near the top is there more room for some of that movement here on this particular Saturday on this particular week we'll watch that and see how it goes something else we're watching very closely here right now is what's next in the chase for coaches with jobs open now at Texas A&M at Mississippi State the big story here is is that yesterday former Georgia defensive coordinator now very successful uh, head coach at Oregon Dan Lanning announced that he was not a candidate for anybody's job he said as in as clear and uncertain terms you can possibly get that he wasn't leaving Oregon for anything and you really did not give himself very much wiggle room on that so if you're A&M and you wanted to swing for the fences with the best possible coach you could hire right now, I believe that was Lanning, and Lanning does not want the job, which gives you, I think, a little bit of an idea of what Dan thinks he has right now at Oregon. This is a program that kind of moves into the Big Ten next year, given the level at which they're recruiting, given the fact that I believe they're going to probably be in the college ball playoff this year. I would, fa- I would favor Oregon over some of these teams to make this year's college football playoff. You're talking about a situation where Oregon enters the league perhaps just behind, like, say, Michigan-Ohio State in terms of the overall Big Ten pecking order, ahead of a team like Penn State, which just seems to be floundering, far ahead of, like, say, UCLA and, and USC, and probably better resourced overall than Washington is. That in the kind of the new Big Ten that's not going to stretch from coast to coast, in this new Big Ten, Oregon is a lot closer to Michigan-Ohio State in terms of the overall pecking order they are to almost anybody else and perhaps Lanning recognizes that now the one thing I'd kind of wonder about is what about the revenue disparity in terms of the agreement that Oregon had to make to come into the league what about the travel 
challenges, knowing that they're so far removed from the geographic center of the conference. Seems like right now that's not a huge consideration. I mean, the Ducks are really killing it in recruiting. And Dan Lanning, a very young guy, is very quickly establishing himself, I believe, as one of the best coaches in college football. And that's not a guy that right now Texas A&M is going to be able to, to kind of go out and get. Uh, for Mississippi State, their job is also open too. And this is one of those things where – you know, the job is probably harder in a new SEC, even though the week-to-week schedule for Mississippi State might be a little easier, especially if the league stays at an eight-game conference schedule. Uh, you're talking about being able to keep your four non-conference games, which gives you a chance to sort of pile up some wins. You're not playing the SEC West on a you know near-weekly basis anymore. That You could make case that the, the landscape for Mississippi State might be slightly easier moving forward, given the fact that you're not playing Alabama LSU every year the way that you have there in the past. But it's still not obvious to me what kind of coach this program is going to be able to attract. Like one of the names you hear a little bit, like a Willie Fritz from Tulane. That's a name that sort of shows up here. You know, I kind of floated the idea of Dan Mullen coming back. Doesn't seem obvious right now that Mullen definitely wants to coach. I still wouldn't rule this out, but it's not certainly obvious right now that Mullen wants to kind of get back involved. And the issue you're going to have if you're Mississippi State is. I mean, Mississippi State and Texas A&M are not, not, not going after the same kind of coach right now. a and is going after a far different sort of financial commitment, far different level of coach than Mississippi State's probably going after. But Mississippi State could be going after a similar level of coach to like an Arkansas. And we do believe that the Arkansas job is also likely to open up here pretty soon. I hate that for Sam Pittman, but Pittman probably sees the writing on the wall and he's made himself a very rich man from the job that he's had. Now, if the Arkansas job comes open, it could be as simple as, you know hometown home state guy like Gus Malzahn just simply going back you know it seems like Malzahn's kind of gotten himself something pretty good there at UCF sort of fallen into something good perhaps but either way he may be pretty comfortable with where he is right now uh at UCF but the pull of the home state going back to Arkansas a job that he's perhaps dreamed of having maybe that's as simple as that but we could see that Arkansas job coming open sooner rather than later and you could have at least three new sec teams chasing coaches and keep in mind here too that as these jobs become available and new coaches get hired that sort of creates openings other places that's why we call it a coaching carousel because as one guy makes a move that opens up something else and around and around you go after that watch that pretty closely here is something else to watch pretty closely florida has suffered a couple of very high uh profile decommits as of uh late uh four-star defensive back uh, Jamonte Waller uh, going back to the weekend. Something to kind of watch for here a little bit. Now, it's not total implosion yet for this very highly rated 2024 recruiting class, but there is a little bit of a crack starting to form here too. And you better believe that Florida fans are beside themselves on all of this here right now because they're not winning games in the field. The recruiting class is the one thing they've sort of had themselves kind of like, well, this is what our hope is built in here right now. The fact that that uh billy napier's clearly recruiting at a level higher than previous florida coaches have have been able to do but these decommits suggest that maybe that doesn't last you know quite forever necessarily and obviously dj lagway the quarterback commit for the class of 2024 remains the most important name to know uh, from a florida recruiting standpoint he is a high value quarterback target and if he comes in then there is at least some reason to believe the future could still be somewhat bright But the one thing that Napier has going for him, because goodness knows there's nothing on the field to sell right now, the one thing he has going for him is what they are doing in recruiting. But when you see a couple of decommitments, you start to wonder, is this just a brief blip on an otherwise excellent year, or is it a precursor to more that's perhaps going to come? 
This is a story worth watching. We'll make that cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. All right, a couple of things here before we wrap up here today. Thing number one is this. We now know what the SEC championship game is going to be. And folks, it is a big one. Georgia and Alabama coming up in a couple of weeks. That means travel plans are being made to be in Atlanta for the big showdown when it takes place. And you know by now, if you're making those plans to come into Atlanta for this particular weekend, when you're thinking about your hotel destination, I want you to think about right where we are here in this Dunwoody area, just a little bit outside downtown Midtown Buckhead scene, but a wonderful spot with great access. You're coming from the airport. There are two MARTA stations right here where we are that allow you to get to and from the airport very easily. Or you can use that same transportation to get into downtown for the game or Midtown Buckhead if you want to do some nightlife and some shopping and some things like that. You can use all of that uh, on those MARTA stations that are right here around where we are in the uh, Dunwoody area. But I think one of the things you're going to love is what there is to do right here in Dunwoody there as well. A couple thousand hotel rooms that gives you a chance at potentially some great savings. Also, a couple of hundred restaurants, every kind of cuisine you could want, fine dining, you know, fast casual, anything in between right here in the Dunwoody area. You've got all of that. 300 different shopping experiences there too. So you want to get stocked up on all those Christmas presents and things like that. This is a great place to do it right here in the Dunwoody Woody area. So I want you to check out the website, discoverdunwoody.com slash dog nation for more on that. That is discoverdunwoody.com slash dog nation to make your plans to come and stay kind of outside the hustle and bustle, safe, family friendly, super fun, right here in the Dunwoody area. Discoverdunwoody.com slash dog nation for more on that. Also, before we wrap up today, one of the names you've been hearing me mention as we've been celebrating our Dog Nation invasion taking place on the Tennessee River on Saturday, our friends from the Dog Cave. And perhaps you're kind of wondering, you know, what is the Dog Cave all about? Well, let me explain this to you here a little bit. If you're like me, you love getting those, like, unique you know, Georgia branded items. Well, that's what the dog cave really gives a chance to provide for you there as well. They've got unique products that you simply are not going to be able to find anywhere else. I'm talking about UGA branded coasters, uh, like national championship coasters. How about magnets, puzzles, acrylic paints, even branded note cards there as well. So if you want some really cool stuff that nobody that you know has, or if you want to give something to somebody this Christmas season that they know they can't get anywhere else, this is where the dog cave comes in. A local artist named Jim Wells, big time UGA fan. He's the one that designs all of this, and it's a really, really cool thing. So I want you to check out the dogcave.com for more on that. Dogcave.com, the dogcave.com for more on that. And of course, by now you know the dog cave is also a big sponsor of our dog nation invasion on the Tennessee River. And as we wrap up here today, let's give you out a couple of golden shoes. One of my favorite things about the job I get to do, especially for those Georgia home games, a chance to hang out with some of y'all, meet you, say hello to you, uh, pose for some pictures, and really just enjoy our time together on those rare Saturdays. We get a chance to all be among 93,000 of our closest friends there for a Georgia home game. Of course, the home finale this past Saturday was no different. So a couple of golden shoes with that in mind. Let's show you some of these here right now including our first one uh doghouse podcast writes in saying it was a pleasure meeting brandon adams in person after the, the dogs beat down of Ole miss on saturday i listen to dog nation daily every day well listen i can't tell you how much i appreciate that for sure he also gives you the hashtag georgia bulldogs brock bowers dog nation really appreciate that thank you for coming by the uga bookstore to see us we'll obviously give you a, a golden shoe for your kind words there certainly appreciate that how about our other golden shoe for today uh bubba riding in to say great seeing you after the game senior spike daughter 
daughter's last home game, and they let me put on a pair to say farewell. She will listen to this now. This is how cool it is to be a Georgia student right now. She will graduate never having lost a home game in her four years at UGA. What a tremendous thing. And how about Bubba there sharing that touching moment with his daughter? Uh, a really, really cool thing. We love the Spike Squad. We love the energy they bring each and every day. Uh, Bubba came and was a guest on our Dog Nation postgame show on Saturday, which I appreciated. Also get another shot of me there wearing the Own the East t-shirt. How much fun is all of that? So Bubba, well-deserved golden shoe for you and your daughter and your entire family for a really special day in Athens on Saturday. That is a wonderful thing. Now, how about our Gator Hater update? It's been a long time since those lousy, stinking Gators have beaten the Georgia Bulldogs. How about 1,102 days? Boy, that's a fun number to watch. Continue to climb in the uh, weeks, months, and hopefully years ahead. We will see you tomorrow at Dog Nation Daily, presented by Engineered Solutions of Georgia.